Romans 14, verses 1 through 9. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not, but, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while to the one who abstains, abstains in honor of of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For, this, for, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we're living in a divided time, in case you haven't picked up on that, sort of like every other news story or every news story, every, certainly every other social media post that you read is kind of about that. There's a, I've noticed, uh, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I've noticed a lot fewer cat videos on Facebook, which I thought were really annoying, and a lot more political conversations, which I think is more annoying than the cat videos. I'd like to go back to the cat videos, and I'd love to see the pictures of your aunt and uncle again, rather than you know, all of our hot takes on politics, but that's just kind of where we are right now. Uh, our country is racked with deep divisions. Uh, we're, we're polarized. We're not just divided. It's not just lots of different camps. We're polarized on two ends of the spectrum, aren't we? Uh, and and it's, it's not just that we have difference of opinion. It's that our differences are so venomous and they run so deep. Media and social media are full of venom right now, aren't they? It's like there's a war that's going on all around us that sort of colors and flavors everything that's going on. And, and it's, it's different because the sides aren't just like, uh, aren't just believe or think differently. It's that we are enemies now. It's that the other side are evil. The other side are bad. The other side uh, are, are the enemy. They are the evil ones. But, but here's what we know as Christians as we gather here this morning. What we know, I think all of us here, is, is we would all know, we would all to subscribe to the idea that Christians are supposed to be different right? Uh, we intrinsically know that as believers that Christians are supposed to be different than what we see in the world around us. In fact, it's not just that Christians, not just that we know that Christians should be different. The people around us who aren't Christians know that Christians should be different. I've heard comments over the past months from people on social media, from people writing, and from people on TV remarking about how Christians are supposed to be different in the way that we interact with other people than the people who are around us. In fact, it's at the very center of our faith. It's the core of who we're supposed to be. Jesus said this in John 13. He said, a new commandment, hear that, a new commandment I give to you 
Not a new option, not a new kind of good idea, not a new uh, thing to strive for, but a new commandment I give to you. That's talking to his disciples. That, and here's the commandment. A lot of you already know it. That you love one another. And in the case we kind of misunderstand what that means, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And this is how he defines what that love is supposed to look like. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. You hear that? That's a pretty high command and it's a pretty high bar to clear. That Jesus doesn't only say like love one another, he says this is how you love each other in the same way or the same manner or to the same extent to which I have loved you. You are to love one another, he says in verse 34. And not only that, but then he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So not only is it a new command or the command that Jesus gives us that we are to love one another and to love one another in the way that he has loved us, which by the way, is to the extent of his life. But he says that we are to love each other and that, and by doing so, that is the way that people around us will know that we are his disciples. They won't know by simply our emotional excitement They won't know simply because of the the creed that we buy into or the church that we belong to or the the extent that we raise our hands while we sing or the loudness that we sing with or the t-shirts that we wear or the Christian coffee mugs that we drink out of at work. They won't know that you're my disciples by those things. In fact, I think those things confuse a lot of people around us. When we wear the t-shirts and we have the coffee mugs and we have the sticker on the back of our car, but then they don't see within our lives a love for one another that looks like the love that Jesus had for us when we were still enemies. When they don't see that, it brings confusion to them and they wonder. They wonder, first of all, are they his disciples and is this thing even real? Is Jesus even real? They wonder when they don't see our love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Because here's the truth. Somebody cannot believe the gospel. Because let's be honest, the, the claims of the gospel are pretty spectacular to the secular mind. The claim that there is a God, that he created us, And that he sent his son who was born of a virgin into a a cave and he slept in a stable and she had never been with a man. And that that Jesus, that, that being, that human being was both God and man. And he died on the cross and took our sins and he's coming again, riding a white horse and a, a sword's coming out of his mouth. That's a pretty spectacular claim and belief that we have. But this is what he says, what gives credence to those beliefs is your love for one another. By this, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. But here's the truth. Christians don't always agree, do we? You don't have to be a Christian very long to figure this out. Christians don't always agree. Come to a members meeting. Go to a community group and bring up politics. Have a conversation about worship style, music preference, your favorite preacher or what you do like and don't like. All of a sudden, 
You understand that Christians don't always agree. You see it in our denominations. You see it in our church splits. You see it on social media. You see it in blog posts. You see it all over the place. Christians don't always agree. And here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. If Jesus said, you will know, they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another, then what are we supposed to do when we don't agree? What are we supposed to do when we disagree? How can we fulfill Jesus' command to love one another when we differ on issues and not just little issues? Look, churches have split over what kind of carpet to put down, literally. Churches have split over some small things that most of us in this room would say, those are insignificant small things. But Christians oftentimes disagree over issues that we would all agree or think are really important. What do we do when Christians disagree about important issues or, or issues that actually, that at least seem like they are important issues? That, that, that's what Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. Now look at Romans 14 verses one through three, if you have your Bible. As for the one who is weak in faith, Paul says, welcome him. We'll come back to what that means. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Uh, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Uh, here's what he is, in order to kind of understand what's going on, we have to see like what Paul is talking about and who Paul is talking to. So he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. And, and here's what we believe was going on is that the church in Rome consisted of mostly Gentile or non-Jewish background believers. But there were also Jewish believers. And, and so they, the, the kind of, they came to this issue in the church, and it wasn't just in Rome, it was kind of all over the church at the time and in other cities and other places, is those who had a Jewish background, they tried to figure out, all right, Jesus, we believe, was the Messiah who was promised to come and, and take the sins of the world, and, and it's through him that we believe there's salvation, but what do we do with all the Mosaic laws? What do we do with all the, the, the instructions that Moses had about how to handle food in a kosher way? How do we understand Moses' commands about not to eat shellfish and, and pork and other things like that? How do we understand Moses' commands about how we live? How do we take these commands that Moses, that God gave through Moses and now understand like what do we do with Jesus? And so there were a lot of people who had a Jewish background who believed that, all right, Jesus came and he took our sins, but these commands that God gave through Moses, like we still have to keep these commands. Like God hasn't done away with these commands. We still have to eat kosher. We still have to uh, observe the Sabbath and the other, the other holidays and feast days that God gave through Moses. And then you had these Gentile believers among whom uh, Paul was a part of, but he wasn't a Gentile, he was a Jew. You have these Gentile believers and some Jewish believers as well who believed that when Christ came that he fulfilled the law and therefore there were all these commands about dietary law and the Sabbath that we weren't commanded to observe anymore. And so you had these two factions in the church. And if you think about it, that would have far-reaching effects about how these people live together in the church. Because if, if you were having somebody over to your house for a community group or just to, 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 to visit and you're going to have these other believers over to your house, but, but they believe that they should still 
observe kosher food laws, then it was gonna make it difficult for you guys to figure out how you're gonna eat together, right? Because I like barbecue. My kids like some pork chops. So we're gonna figure out how we're gonna live together, how we're gonna work together. And, And not only that, but the people who believe, hey, I'm free of that, would these sort of push inside you to put constant pressure on those who believe you still have to keep those laws to say like, hey man, get with it. You're, you're being bound by something that God hasn't bound us with. You need to break out of that. You're, they would be calling them what, but Paul is using the wording here, those who are weaker in their faith. You need to stop being so weak in your faith and get strong in your faith like I am and believe that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And then you had those who would be weaker in their faith, who believe they have to still obey the commands of Moses, but they would be looking at those who don't observe the Sabbath and don't observe the kosher eating food laws and saying, you have sold out. You're becoming more and more like the world around us. You're just, you're letting your love for barbecue get ahead of where your devotion should be to God. And so they would be judging those who felt that they were free to not observe the commandments of Moses. And those who felt free would be despising or looking down on those who still kept those laws. And they would see that would affect the way that they lived their everyday life. And not only they were with these small issues, they were important issues. Because they get to how you observe and how you interpret scripture. How you view how we're supposed to live out our faith. They would get to to issues about how we worship and how we shouldn't worship and what the preacher should talk about and what he shouldn't talk about, about what we believe as a church and what we don't believe. Christians disagree about a lot of things that are unimportant, but we also disagree about a lot of things that are important. We have a lot of important disagreements. We have a lot of important disagreements about biblical issues, right? In this room, there are any number of beliefs about how we interpret the Bible or how we interpret certain sections of the Bible. There are any number of beliefs in this room about how we think about the sovereignty of God and how that works with salvation and you know, who, who is predestined and who is not predestined and all the different kinds of issues, things that are not unimportant, they are important but yet we have difference of opinion about these important issues, about how we interpret scripture. And that plays into like how we think about what the preacher talks about and how the preacher talks about those things, how we address things in our community groups and in our classes. It has big far reaching implications, right? How we interpret and what we believe about biblical issues. And we have differences of opinions here in this room and those, who are, those of us who are watching online. There are those of us who have different understandings and beliefs about church issues, right? Worship and worship style. What should be happening on a Sunday morning and what shouldn't happen? What style of music should the band play and not play? How should we participate and not participate? Should we clap or raise our hands or sing or sing quietly or sing loud? There are different understandings and and issues of church about how we observe our government, our church government, and how the leadership should operate. There's different thoughts about church about what a priority should be in our church. What should our priorities should be? What should they focus on? I'm in a number of meetings with you guys and everybody, 
because depending on how you put on the hook, we all have different sort of opinions about what should be a priority. Some person says like, no, we need to be more evangelistic, which is absolutely true. And somebody else says, no, we need to focus more on discipleship, which is absolutely true. And someone else says, no, we should be more about serving the poor and those who are disadvantaged, which is absolutely true. But where do we put our priorities? We all see it differently, don't we? Or many of us see it differently. But what happens oftentimes is not only do we see things differently, but we sort of end up like being attracted to other people who view things the same way that we do. And we have those conversation circles, which then become sort of cliques and sects of the church where we believe the same thing and we look at everybody else around us and they view differently. And then all of a sudden you start to have not just a difference of opinion, but you start to have divisions and true deep disagreements, don't we? We have different opinions about cultural issues. Christians have very different opinions about how we should engage with the larger culture around us. What kind of music should we listen to or not listen to or movies or television shows? How engaged should we be with the culture around us trying to influence culture or should we just say, hey, culture is bad and Christ is coming again and we're just gonna hold on on our own until Christ returns? We have difference of opinion about marriage and gender and how that works out. We have difference of opinion about lifestyle issues, about how we make and spend our money about how we spend our time and how we raise our children, right? That's when it kind of gets kind of into that kind of tender place, right? How many conversations have you had with, with your kids or your grandkids about, oh, well, they don't let them do that or so-and-so lets their kids do that. And then you gotta try to figure out how we're gonna deal with this, right? We have different opinion about political issues. about what candidates to back and what candidates we don't back and why. But what political issues we should care about and why. But what certain things should we see, Christian beliefs, should we see try to become law and what should we not? How does that all work out? And here's what Paul is saying though. All those are important issues, but here is what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that, we, that there isn't a right way or a wrong way to believe on these issues. Paul is saying in this, in this situation, he's saying that one group of believers are weaker and one group of believers are stronger in their faith. But what he is saying is that their, that belief isn't essential. It's not core to what it means to be a Christian. There are core issues to what it means to be a Christian and Paul is very clear about that. He's clear about that in this book and he's clear about that throughout the New Testament. There are issues that are essential and core to Christianity that if you don't hold to these things that you're playing for a different team. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he was talking about this, uh, this one guy who is in a weird kind of relationship with his, with his uh, dad's wife and it got sexual and it got weird and the church was like, hey, that's okay. And Paul's like, that is not okay. He needs to be put outside the church until he repents. There are issues that are important and essential and core to who we are as believers. But then there are other things that are maybe important, but they are not essential. Essential issues are of utmost importance, but some issues are not. The problem is when we, as believers, we as Christians, we elevate non-essential issues too highly. We make issues that are important, 
but not core or not essentials and we put them too highly. And it's easy to see in other people, right? When you, when you hear of a church split that split over the color of the carpet or whether they should have pews or not pews or whether they should bring in a, a set of drums or not, when you hear about a church split that's over something like that, you're like, all right, that's silly. They split over a unimportant, non-essential issue, but then we have our own issues that we think are incredibly important. And we are prone to think of whatever, my, kind of my pet non-essential issue, to think about those things too highly. Here's the truth. There are some issues, some things that as Christians that we're just not gonna be able to solve in this lifetime. And the question is, what do we do with those things? Issues that we can't solve in this lifetime, in this congregation, in our country, what do we do with those issues? And Paul isn't saying that we don't disagree what Paul is saying is that we should disagree differently than the world around us. We should disagree differently than those who aren't believers. Look at verses three through six. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So he's talking about the, the way that we, uh, those believers were thinking about the Sabbath and other feast days. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to him. What we're seeing here is that Paul is showing less concern about the issue itself than about the way they are addressing the disagreement. In other words, Paul is showing less concern about the actual issue. He doesn't address much here about whether they should observe these feast days or not observe the feast days, whether they should observe this, these, the Sabbath or not observe the Sabbath, whether they should eat kosher or not eat kosher. Though he's kind of tipping his hand, he's calling those who believe that they, that they, believe they can't, he's calling them weaker brothers. But he's not getting much into that issue, he's dealing more about the nature of the disagreement and that can be incredibly frustrating. Because we, it's so easy for us to get tunnel vision and deal with just the issue that is seemingly so important. Uh, not too long ago, uh, Megan and I had a, a disagreement, a disagreement that led into an argument. It was at nights and it, it was, uh, we have this nice time, we're hanging out together at the table and there's a certain issue that's, you, you know, if you're a married couple or dating a while, you know there's certain issues that are the prickly issues, you know? Like as soon as it comes up, you can just feel the like static in the room and you're like, all right, which direction is this gonna go? And you can almost see yourself like you're out of body, like don't go there, but you can't help yourself because it just has this sort of like gravity that pulls you into it, you know? And, and it's just dance, like we know this dance, like you say this and then I say this and man, it is on. And it, was, it went from like sweet, like she had her hand on my shoulder and we're very, like literally, we're talking and having a good time and all of a sudden like this issue came up and all of a sudden like, like the room switched on us. And all of a sudden like 
it was, it was starting to, to get a little tense. And, and this issue, I'm not going to go into the issue here, but this issue is sort of the trifecta for us. It's a, it's a personal issue, it's a church issue, and it's an issue about how we view scripture. And so, boom, it's like the trifecta, it is on. Like, boom, boom, it's hitting all, like, and it is, it is a very sensitive, sensitive, sore subject for both of us. And it got it got heated. It started like, oh, I don't understand. And until it got like, it got on. And, and I don't like, we have, we have disagreements. It became an argument. We have arguments, but I don't, this had a, I don't use, I'm usually like, you know, a few minutes afterwards, I'm okay. This one, this one got me going. I was angry. I was, it was sort of like a, when I was doing this, like that, that's my sort of sign. Like, like, like Randy is at the top and I was like talking like this and I'm and my voice is getting loud and I'm like punching the air in front of her. And, and, and when we finally kind of separated, like I, I couldn't, this is unusual. I couldn't, I couldn't calm down. I couldn't sleep. I sat there, I was frustrated. I prayed, I went for a walk. I tried to bring it down. And finally, it took some time. It took hours, it took hours. It was into the middle of the night. It took hours, I was praying. And, I, and through prayer and then the next day through wise counsel, what was frustrating to me is that I realized that the problem on my end wasn't about that Megan wasn't seeing the issue that I wanted her to see. The problem was I had made our argument about me. It was less about her not understanding what I was saying or not seeing things the way I was seeing or not understanding that my view was the right view. That's what I wanted to get caught up on. But what I was missing was that the, the whole argument had turned to where it was, became about, I was frustrated that she wasn't seeing things the way I wanted her to see. It became about me. It's not about the issue. It was about my frustration with her not bending to the way that I wanted her to bend. It became about me. And that's what happens in disagreements among all of us. That's what happens among disagreements among, among Christians, that we get frustrated because other people won't see the issue the way that we think it needs to be seen, but it becomes something more than just about the issue. It becomes frustration that they won't bend into my way. We have different ways of dealing with disagreements. Some of us want to avoid or evade ever talking about disagreements. Uh, we, we, we try to push away from having any sort of conversation that's going to take us there in, in church and in our friendships. And you know what that creates? It creates shallow conversations and shallow relationships. Uh, some of us want to say, all right, no, it's okay. Like, all right, this is how we avoid the, the situation. We say, all right, your truth is personal to you and my truth is personal to me. And, and whatever you believe is true for you, whatever I believe is true for me. But the problem with that is that devalues all truth. And what it really does is it still makes my opinion more valuable than yours. Because if I believe that my opinion is true for me and yours is true for you, then I can believe that yours is not true and mine is and I can look down on yours. Some of us wanna look around people who disagree with us, we wanna make them the enemy. And the thing that that does is that creates personal superiority and it destroys any possibility with intimacy with, any, with the people who disagree with me because they are my enemies. And it makes people afraid to disagree with me because they're afraid to be my enemy. And the thing that all those things do, the way that we deal with disagreement or don't deal with them is it makes us falsely feel better about ourselves. See, it's about ourselves. It's about us. They all make 
me my own personal master or king. It's not just about the issue, it's about that it's my issue and my belief and my stance. But Paul says that the defining characteristic of the Christian and Christian disagreement should be incredibly and diametrically different than that. Here's what Paul says. He says in verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. At the end of verse three, he says, for God has welcomed him. That word welcome is the word, your version may say receive, it's the picture of bringing somebody in. It's not just of tolerating somebody who has a difference of opinion, but here's what Paul says. He says, when someone who is around us who we think is weak in faith or we disagree with, that our movement should be not to push them away or not to not talk about things or not to make them an enemy, but our movement should be to welcome them in or receive them in to ourselves. The picture there is bringing somebody into your home, bringing someone into your circle of friends. Here's what Paul says. When Christians disagree with other people, particularly other Christians, that our movement should not be to ostracize them or to ignore them or to despise them. Our move should be to bring them into our most intimate circle. To bring them in. How can we bring others in when we disagree so, so differently, so vehemently sometimes with them over issues that we think are really important? Well, Paul says, he says, first of all, he says, don't quarrel over different opinions in verse one, right? Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We wanna make it about like, oh, it's about the issue. They don't believe what I believe about this issue, but then it becomes, therefore, they're an idiot, right? Therefore, they're just not smart enough. Or therefore, they just don't love Jesus enough. Or therefore, they don't understand scripture enough. But Paul says, don't bring them in in order to quarrel with them. He says, don't quarrel over them. James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not the passions that are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You know what's going on? We fight and quarrel among each other, not just about the issue, but because I'm frustrated that you won't come to my side. That's what really angers me. I want to be king, I wanna be master. This doesn't mean that we don't, again, that we don't discuss important issues. It means that we recognize them as opinions. Did you hear what Paul says? He says, don't quarrel over opinions. Do you recognize a lot of issues that you hold dearly and importantly as opinions? We have differing opinions over important issues, but they are still opinions. You and I are not God. And we are not perfect in our understanding and our belief, right? And it's easy to think about that, yes, that's true in theory until we get on that issue that hits that sensitive, that sensitive part of our heart, right? Paul says don't quarrel them, but he also says don't despise them in verse three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. To despise is to show contempt or to disrespect or to discard. 
Paul is saying we don't discard or push aside people who believe differently than we do. We bring them in closer. You hear that? Do you see how different that is in the world around us? We don't discard them. Oh, they're silly. They're stupid. They don't love the Lord as much as I do or understand the scripture as well as I do. And he says, you know why we bring them in and we don't discard them? Because Jesus brought us in. That's what he says. And not only Jesus brought us in, but he says, Jesus brought them in. Do you see that at the end of verse three? For God, don't, don't look down, don't despise them, don't pass judgment. He says, before God has welcomed or brought them in. God has welcomed them in. Jesus died for those around us that we disagree with over important issues. And therefore, we should not take that lightly. That person is a child, they're a son or daughter of the king. And we shouldn't treat that as a small, low thing. We should not despise or discard, we should bring them in. And then Paul says, not only do not despise them as he's talking to those who are strong in the faith, but he says, don't pass judgment on those who differ from you. When we pass judgment on somebody else, we're measuring them. We're saying, you don't measure up. You aren't good enough. You aren't smart enough. You aren't right enough on this issue. I'm judging them. And here's what Paul is saying. None of us is given the measuring tape to determine the people around us, whether they measure up or not. The master alone is the judge. Did you get that wording in there? Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant? That word servant there is the word for a, a house servant or a house slave. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant, the slave of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that we are all fellow servants of the master, of the Lord. And that that master, our master, our Lord has already determined that those of us who are around us who are believers in Christ, but who differ with us over our important issues, he has already determined that they will stand. That he's already determined that they measure up. Just as he's already done that for us. Not because we are all smart or all believe the right thing or all love God deeply enough, but because he loves us deeply. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, he has brought us near into himself. Their ability to stand, those of us who differ over important issues, is the same as our ability to stand. It doesn't rest on our rightness. It rests on Jesus Christ's love for us. Those of us who are weak in faith, those of us who are around us, who, who you think of, they're weak in faith because they don't believe the way that you believe, they, are, they still have faith. They may be weak in faith, but they still have faith, and we need to respect that. Jesus said it only took a grain, faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed in order to have faith. 
That's a sacred thing. If someone has faith, even if it is very, very small or very weak faith seemingly to you, that they do not have faith except through a gift of God. And that is a sacred, holy thing that we have to respect and honor. In this case that Paul's talking about, he's, he's admitting that those who were weak were actually, if you want to say wrong on the issue, but he, he calls on the strong to welcome and to receive them. And this is what Jesus has done for us, right? That's what the gospel is about. It's the message of the gospel. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is all of us. All of us at our core of who we are, apart from Christ, are the ungodly. But Christ, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why Christians should and they can respond differently to the people who have different opinions than us. Jesus sets the standard for what that looks like and he provides the power it's in the motivation that we understand that we are enemies of God apart from Christ. That God brought us in, he came after us and brought us in when we were in, more than incredibly weak, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what can motivate us. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit in order to give us the ability to even think and respond to the people around us differently the way that Jesus did when he's on the cross and he had, been, he had been denied by the people who were closest to him. He had been wrongfully accused and was now being horribly crucified according to charges that were false against him and everybody knew it was false. And yet he responded in love and forgiveness to those who are around him. This is what Paul says. Paul says that those of us who believe that we are strong, and hey, the reason I'm saying it this way is because most of us believe that we're strong in what we believe. That the ones who are around us are the weak ones. Paul says those of us who are strong are called to subordinate our liberty, our freedom to those who are weak. So that we, for peace, he says in the next chapter, and for mutual edification that we would all be built up. Later on in the chapter he says actually. Here's what it means to bring someone in or welcome someone in. It means that we subordinate, we submit our freedom to theirs. We don't make it a point of quarreling. It doesn't mean that we don't think it's important, but we submit our freedom to those of us who are around us who have less freedom. It means we accommodate their weakness. It means we follow in Jesus' footsteps and we die to ourselves. That's what it means to die to ourselves. It means that our spouses and our kids and our friends and the people around us and in our, in our church and our congregation, that we die to our preferences for their betterment. It's for their edification. It doesn't mean that we just tolerate or accept the people around us like the world thinks about toleration or acceptance. It means that we, in loving humility, prefer the other one over us. This is how we live out the gospel in our midst. And it's in this way, and this is the cool thing, it's in this way that disagreements over things that are seemingly important, 
are actually an opportunity. They're not an impediment to those of us who are believers to show unity. They're not an impediment to, to love. They provide an opportunity for us to show how Christians approach disagreeing by bringing each other in. And can you imagine this? What if we as a congregation and believers in general in our country, instead of discarding other believers who disagree with us over issues that are seemingly important, what if instead we reached out and we brought them in and we subordinated our preferences to those of us who are around us? Think of how that would look different to the world around us. Think of how we would give an opportunity for Jesus to show that we are his disciples by our love for one another. That's what Paul is talking about when he ends this section talking about, for none of us lives to himself, but none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of the dead and the living. This only works if we view our life all the way to death, right? All the way to what feels like dying, all the way to sacrifice of people around us. This only works if we view our life as under the lordship of Christ. If we view ourselves as his servants, if we view ourselves as his slaves. And our call is not to make our show that our opinion about politics and our opinion about church policy and church government and worship style and cultural issues are right, but we submit them to our Lord and we submit them to the people around us for our mutual edification, for their upbuilding, for their, so they can be stronger in their walk with Christ. And if we did that to each other, there'll be so much mutual building up, mutual edification that we would all be built up. We would all feel not only be submitting to those around us, but we would be submitted to in, in our own areas of weakness. And we would showcase a love that brings those in who disagree with us. The way Christ brought us in and continues to bring us in. Our role isn't to control the other people around us. Our role is to love and to serve them and bring them in. Just as he brought us in.